of, uh, and I'm so excited to continue this series called uh, Encounters with Christ. Uh, and, and what we're doing week after week is looking at these stories where people encounter Jesus, uh, and, and something happens there where even 2,000 plus years later, we get to learn from that, and we get to grow, and we can be convicted, and we can be transformed uh, through those words. Uh, and so, uh, again, as Ashley said, today's word comes from Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. Uh, and in this story, uh, it's easy for us to kind of skip right over it because we read it and it goes back to uh, a different scene. And so let me just set this up for you. Uh, Jesus is, uh, he just got done teaching and healing uh, and, and talking with families and getting to know people and, and proclaiming the gospel of the good news. Uh, and what happens is Jesus needs to get away. You know, Jesus is what I would believe is a huge introvert. And so he gets onto this boat of his friends. And he says, hey, friends, let me just get on this boat so I can kind of get away from these people. Uh, and then he teaches from a boat so that way there's water that separates them. Uh, and Jesus really cared about his boundaries. Uh, and then while he was on the boat teaching, he says, all right, I'm done. Uh, let's go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And so here's what happens. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out and while they were sailing, uh, Jesus, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake and the boat was filled uh, with water and they were in danger. Verse 24, uh, they went to him and woke him up shouting, master, master, we're perishing. And he woke up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And then there was calm. And he said to them, his disciples, where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we get to learn from this encounter that you have with your friends. And God, you call us friends, and we can learn from that as well, about faith, about trust, about fear. And even those moments when, when, when we feel like you're silent, we get to learn and see what happens here, and may that affect our lives and change our lives as we walk out. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, without a doubt, this story is one of my favorite stories of the entire Bible, uh, because I know that I can look at the, uh, the lives of the disciples and, and the experience they had in the winds and the storms uh, as they actually thought their life uh, was over. Uh, they lost faith. They're like, Jesus, where are you? And in these moments uh, that we even experience, we can resonate this as well, with this as well. So let me ask you this. Have you ever uh, felt like your life was spinning out of control? Have you ever felt like uh, you were overwhelmed with anxiety? Have you ever felt fear? Have you ever felt anger? Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt isolated? If you felt any of those, which I can almost guarantee all of us, we've experienced one or two or three, if not all of those, uh, if not in the past, maybe even today as we're sitting in these seats. 
And if you can resonate with any of those words, then this story has something to say to you and to me and to even to us as a congregation. And so the three things that we'll be talking about in this text is first we'll look at the context. Because context is, is really important as we understand this story. And then after context, we'll, we'll look at this idea of control or, or even the lack of control. Oftentimes, we're overwhelmed with this need for control that what we realize is that the need for control often leads to anxiety. Yeah, you can see this story of the disciples where he says, Jesus, Jesus, where are you? We're perishing. We're dying. Anxiety. So we'll look at the background, we'll look at uh, this idea of control, and then we'll look at this idea where God was with them. God through the person of Jesus was with them even in the storm. Easily Jesus could have been, all right, Jesus can walk on water. Remember those stories? See you later. Good luck. I'm out of here. But Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and modeled uh, what I would consider a very less anxious presence. And I love the story of Mark. So there's different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptics. So it's this perspective of three Gospel writers telling essentially the same story with their perspective. Uh, and what we realize, even though Matthew was first, it, Matthew is first in the order of the New Testament, Mark, Matthew, Mark is second, and then Luke is third. Mark was actually the first gospel that was written. And so what we realize all throughout the centuries when, uh, when, the, when Matthew and Luke and later John was written, they would borrow from Mark. And so what scholars do is they actually look to Mark for authenticity and to see what may have been closer to the truth. And what I love about Mark's perspective is that while the disciples and Jesus were on the boat uh, and they were panicking, they were, they were perishing, it says that, uh, and all the other gospels leave this out, it says Jesus was sleeping, and not only was Jesus sleeping, he was sleeping using a pillow. And, and so you can see that uh, Though they felt like they were losing control, that there was somebody in their lives that were full of confidence and faith in God that would come through with them. And so let's look at the background a little bit. This is uh, the Sea of Galilee. Essentially what it is, it's a big lake. Uh, and it's a lake that's about 16 miles long, so north and south, and it's about nine miles wide. And so you can probably think of some lakes even in the country that may resemble this shape. So it wasn't big, uh, but it wasn't small. And what you have to realize about the Sea of Galilee, and I've actually been there. I've, I've rode my bike uh, around this, the actual lake, uh, and it's so beautiful and so incredible. Uh, and what we realize is that around the sea, uh, even 2,000 years ago in the first century, uh, there's ports and cities all surrounding the water for obvious reasons because water was an essential part of life. Uh, but also, not only were there, uh, was there commerce in different cities and different villages, uh, there were beautiful mountain ranges. And, and even I remember riding my bike around Sea of Galilee uh, to my right, I would see the beautiful lake. Now I'd see the people playing and swimming in the lake. And to my left, uh, I would see mountain ranges. And, and so what was important to understand is that the Sea of Galilee was about 700 feet below sea level. So it was pretty low. Uh, and so there's a lot of warm air floating around 
the sea. Next to it was a big mountain, a famous mountain called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon was actually 9,000 feet high. And so what would happen, even to this day, is that the cold winds from Mount Hermon from 9,000 feet high would come down and meet the warm air uh, of the, in the Sea of Galilee, in the lake, and it would create a huge storm. And, and so I know that the Bible, uh, the English Bible calls it a windstorm, uh, but the original Greek language of the word for this word windstorm is this word lilaf. And actually, lilaf with the phi at the end. So, lilaf. And so, uh, lilaf doesn't just mean windstorm. Lilaf throughout the scriptures actually means hurricane. It means hurricane. And this even happens today when warm air and cold air meet. Uh, there's a combustion and then there's uh, this severe windstorm. And in this case, there was a hurricane. And so in this context, here's Jesus in this boat with his disciples going from one end. They were going from east to west of the lake. And in the middle of their trip, uh, this hurricane hits. And these uh, friends were not just, you know, uh, just casual people that rode on boats to travel. They were fishermen. And we see even the verses in the chapters before that Jesus' friends were fishermen. And so here's this context where they're going from one end to the other. Uh, the cold air from Hermon comes and hits the warm air of Galilee. And all of a sudden there's a hurricane. And these fishermen who uh, day in, day out on boats, they've experienced bad weather before. I mean, I could imagine them saying when the hurricane or the windstorm was first coming, they, they were confident. They're like, oh, yeah, we can handle this. This is nothing. And then suddenly the hurricane gets stronger and stronger, and even these fishermen who's used to, to cold weather, who's used to windstorms, who's used to the boat rocking, the boat rocking, that was not a big deal to them until this hurricane came, until the lilac hit, and suddenly they thought their life was in danger. And they went to Jesus who was sleeping on a pillow. I, I love that. And then verse 24, he says, They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. I love that. He says, we are perishing in verse 24. And what we see is that these fishermen, they're used to knowing what to do during these times. They're used to knowing exactly which way to put the sails. They're used to where, knowing where to sit. And then suddenly, maybe for the first time in a long time, uh, that they uh, feel like they're losing absolute control. And again, what I said earlier is oftentimes when we lose control, when we feel like we don't have control with our lives, if you've ever felt anxiety, if you've ever felt hurt or isolated, if you've ever felt like your life was spinning out of control, like you can use the word chaos to describe your life, this is what they felt. Because the reality is the moment that we feel like we're losing control Anxiety tends to be the side effect. And we see that even in our own lives. I mean, maybe you're sitting here and you feel like right now you're losing control. 
And, and what I would say is the worst part for these disciples is not just that they feel like they're losing control, like they're living in this season or this hour of chaos, uh, of, of uncertainty, of not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, but the worst part is they feel like Jesus isn't listening, like he's completely absent. Well, like Jesus is asleep. And it's almost like they're upset and they're like, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, don't you see what's happening? We are dying. And there's a subtext. If you read in between the lines, what they're saying is uh, they don't have any trust. They don't actually believe that Jesus would come through with this power, his ability to calm the storms and calm the waves. And the reason why I feel like we can all resonate with this, including especially myself, as I look at the story, is, is some of us, we're saying, Jesus, where are you? I remember a few years ago, or several years ago now, when I was living in California, uh, I lived in kind of a, a rough part of, of L.A., of the neighborhood. And I remember my roommates and I, we would look at the sky, and we'd almost, on a daily occurrence, we'd see uh, choppers in the sky looking for criminals running away or on a high-speed chase. And one fun thing that we used to do is when we would see helicopters right above our place with the spotlight looking for a car chase or whatever it is, we would turn on the TV. And I kid you not, more often than not, we would see our house like on TV while the cops were chasing this criminal. And we're like, oh, hey, there's, there's our apartment. And then we can hear it. So I don't know, it's kind of fun for me. Uh, so that's what we do. So that's the kind of neighborhood we lived in. And I remember one day I was walking out of uh, my apartment. I was going to my car, and lo and behold, my window was, uh, was broken, and someone stole my backpack full of my theology books and Bible. So, hey, who knows? Uh, oh, and they stole my CDs. Remember, like, the CD albums in your car, right? Am I dating myself? Yes. Uh, and half of them were burned. No, just me? Okay. Uh, well, they stole those, which was uh, mostly, like, worship music, which is kind of ironic in itself. I burned Christian music, uh, which I don't know if that's stealing or not. I thought it was God's way of letting me worship in my car. But whatever it is, they stole that. And, and then immediately I kind of panicked and I called, and I probably should have called a different number, but I called 911 because someone broke into my car. Uh, but that's beside the point. Nonetheless, I dialed 911, uh, and this is a rough part of L.A., and what I got was a busy signal. I got a busy signal when I dialed. I'm not making this up. I dialed 911 on my landline, which I haven't had for years, and I heard a busy signal. And I remember thinking, okay, first of all, you have, what if, like, I'm dying? Like, you don't even know what's happening. And I remember being so frustrated and so upset that someone broke into my car, uh, and yet I couldn't get any help. I dialed 911, and it was busy. And ultimately, uh, I finally got through. They helped me out. Things got settled. Uh, but I remember that feeling of dialing 911 because of an emergency and realizing that they were too busy for good reason, that bigger fish to fry, and there's a lot going on in the city of Los Angeles. But oftentimes I look at that story and how many times, A, do we treat God like a 911 call? And we say, all right, now I'm in trouble. Now I'm going to go to God. And so we pick up our, our phones or our hands and put them together and say, God, 
here's where I need help. God, don't you see what's happening? God, don't you know that I'm in trouble? Don't you care? And what we believe is happening is that God is silent. That God is asleep. Or at worst, God doesn't care. That God doesn't care. And I love when in their anxiety they say, Master, we're perishing, we're dying, we're in danger. And then he says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? He calms the sea, he calms, he calms the waters, and he says, where is your faith? And, and then when the, when the uh, disciples saw this, it says in verse 25 uh, that they were afraid. So there's really no pleasing these people because they were afraid still. And they were mixed with amazement. They were afraid and they were amazed. And they said to one, one another, who then is this that commands even the winds and the water? See, what we have to realize is when he says, who is this that, that calms even the winds in the water is that back in the first century and even throughout the entire ancient Near East, uh, water was considered something evil. Uh, it, it, water was considered, especially the seas and the, in, in the ocean, it was considered something so powerful, but not in a good way. It was considered something so powerful that it would take lives. And so we can see all over the Psalms that, uh, Jesus, that God calms the water. Uh, we can see all the way in Revelation that there's evil, there's sea monsters. They believe that there were actually sea monsters in the water that would grab life and take life. And, and though that sounds a little bit silly now, but it, we can resonate with that. If you've ever been around the ocean, you understand how powerful the ocean is. Uh, it, it actually takes lives. I remember when I was first learning how to surf, uh, again, when I was living in California, my friend said, be careful of the rib curls. Okay, I've never been a part of, I've never surfed before at this time. And I was like, all right, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, so, you know, I got on, I strap on the surfboard to my ankle, and I'm paddling out, and, you know, I'm going back and forth. And, and one time I fell, I rolled over, and I remember being so disoriented because I had no idea where I was. I finally got back onto the surfboard, and I was trying to swim to shore, paddle to shore, and I wasn't getting anywhere. Because as the ocean was pushing me to the shore, then the ocean was actually pushing me back. And so I was going back and forth, back and forth. And, and I thought to myself, if I, if I didn't have this surfboard, I would have ran out of energy. I may have died. I may have drowned. And, and so this idea of the ocean being evil and this ocean being powerful, though the ocean is beautiful, I do believe it's been redeemed. I love going to the ocean. It is beautiful. Yet we underestimate the powers of it. Here in the first century, they looked at the ocean and says, that is an evil space. That takes lives. That is powerful. And, and so when Luke and actually all the other gospel writers, uh, they describe the, uh, the emotions of the disciples of, man, who is this person? This person even calms the waters? Because you have to understand the waters were powerful. And they looked at the water and said, something so powerful and so big, even Jesus was even more powerful than whatever 
that was scanning them, which was the waters and the winds. And so there's times when we feel like we're losing complete control of our lives. We, we believe that even in the midst of us losing control, uh, ridden with anxiety and fear, whatever it is, uh, hardships, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your relationships, in your friendships, in your career, in your education, in your school, in your, in your job, whatever it is, there's moments and there's seasons when you feel like I'm just losing control. And the worst part is, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not only is your life spinning out of control, you're saying, Jesus, you're not around. Jesus, where are you? And ultimately, Jesus, I don't have faith. You may not say this out loud, or maybe you do. But what we're saying is we don't have faith that Jesus would actually calm the storms in our lives. That Jesus couldn't possibly calm the storms in our lives. And in this story, when, when they say, who is this man that calms even the winds, even the storms? What that is telling us is that there are things that are powerful in your lives, yes. There are things uh, that you feel like are controlling you rather than you controlling it. There are areas in your life you feel like there's nothing you can do, that you are helpless. And not only are you helpless, but nothing can help you. And what we see in this story is that this great fear and this great wind and this great waters and, and storms and hurricane was met by this great power of Jesus. And what we have to understand is that in the midst of our powerlessness, we follow and are loved by a God who is even more powerful than the very thing that holds us down. And so the question for you is, what is that? Well, what is the very thing that is making you lose control or making you feel like there's no end to it? Like, like there's no turning back. What is that wind? What is that storm? What is that space of water for you? And, and let me just encourage you by saying that Jesus is not intimidated by it. And I love the dichotomy of reactions. The disciples are like, I'm so scared. I'm going to die. What is happening? And Jesus is sleeping. Not only sleeping, but he's on a pillow. I mean, he's kicking back. And even, I can just imagine, I don't know, that I'm just reading in between the lines. He's getting up, maybe he's yawning, you know, and he's like, all right, what's all this, you know, what's all this noise all about? Oh, the wind? Oh, the waters? Are you kidding me? And, and I love the, uh, the message translation where it says, not where, here it says, where's your faith? The message translation, I love this, Jesus asks his disciples, don't you trust me? Don't, don't you trust me? And he's getting up from the boat, and he says, are you kidding me? Don't, don't you trust me? And just like that, he comes and wins in the storms. They didn't die. They thought they were going to die. They didn't die. And sometimes when we feel like God is silent, 
that's kind of the way we feel, maybe, maybe physically, but maybe even metaphorically. We feel like we're going to die. And Jesus says, in those moments, don't you trust me? And we can look back in our moments, sometimes hindsight, or oftentimes hindsight is 2020. And I look back and I say, there's so many times when Jesus came through. And I can imagine, you know, uh, Jesus saying to me in those moments, yes, it was hard. Yes, it was challenging. Yes, you thought you were going to die, but did you die, though? No. I came through. And not only that, I learned something. I grew, I, I grew and I, I gained knowledge. I became a better person because of that storm. And that's the redeeming factor that God has for all of us. Yes, you may be losing control, but there's something so liberating in that when you say, I have no control. Because it's in that moment, God can say, ah, I was waiting for you to say that. Trust me. Trust me. And I will come through. In those moments when we feel like in life we have no control, know that A, that's a good thing. Let let go. Let go. Because it's in those moments that God works and God moves. Even in the silence. When I was younger, I, uh, I didn't make the best decisions. You know, maybe some of you guys can resonate with that. Uh, and, and I uh, was kind of a rebellious child. But I will say this. This will make sense in a second. I was a rebellious child that loved absolutely loved Cheetos. Anybody in here love Cheetos? Like the chips? Thank you. Okay. And I remember going to the store uh, with my mom. And, and I remember there was a little convenience store that was on one side of the building. And on the other side, there was a video store. It was either Blockbuster or Hollywood, one of those video stores that we went into. And actually, while we were in the video store uh, with my mom, I said, hey, I'm going to go. And I was younger. I don't know why she let me do this. But I said, hey, I'm going to go next door, and I'm going to pick out uh, candy or, or chips or whatever it is. And then you'll meet me, and then you'll help me pay for it, and then we'll come back. And, and, then, she, and then that was the deal. And she was looking for videos and movies. I go next door, you know, browse in the aisles, and I see candy. I love candy. To this day, I have the biggest sweet tooth. And then lo and behold, I saw a bag of Cheetos. And just like any what seven or eight-year-old would do, I took the Cheetos. And as soon as I put the Cheetos in my hand, I ran outside. And for some reason, I thought it was a bright idea to go into the video store to meet with my mom. And she looked at me and said, how, how did you get those Cheetos? I didn't pay for it yet. And right at that moment, the person who owned the little convenience store ran over into the video store, because I didn't get very far, uh, and he saw where I was going, told my mom that I stole these bag of Cheetos. But how was I not supposed to do that? They were right in front of my face, and I was seven years old. And, and so my mom said, sorry. I said, sorry. We paid for it. <clears throat> and the thing <clears throat> with my folks, especially my mom, is that I know when she's upset. She'll either yell or she'll tell me, you know, that was not right. She'll tell me about my consequences, you're grounded, this or that. I mean, she will let me know when I'm in trouble. But I remember that evening when we were driving home, 
I was in the car and I was expecting that. I was expecting this, uh, okay, any second now she's going to yell. Any second now she's going to tell me I'm grounded. Any second now she's going to tell me this was, uh, give me a lecture of why this was wrong and what we need to do next time. But nothing. I mean, it was completely silent. And, and, and this is when I was getting scared. Like, okay, what is happening? Like, she's not screaming at me. She's not telling me I'm wrong. She, it's just completely silent. And, and she's done this before. And I remember thinking, those are the moments that are the scariest. Those are the moments where I knew I was in trouble. Those were the moments I knew not only was my mom angry, but she was probably really ashamed of my behavior and really, di- and really disappointed. And I remember that silence was so painful. And even for us today, silence is painful. There's this idea of the silent treatment, right? Because when you're upset with somebody, you give them the quote-unquote silent treatment because we know how powerful silence is. It's this complete division of relationships and saying, me, I want to be completely disconnected from you. And so it's painful. Or, you know, today we call, you know, I have some friends that were talking about he was, he were te- he was texting or whatever with this girl. And he said, oh, she's, quote, unquote, ghosting me. Some of you guys know what that means. It means like you're kind of like a ghost. You're not responding. You're essentially giving them the silent treatment. And he was hurt. And he was sad. When we look at incarceration, there's, uh, there's solitary confinement because they know that putting somebody uh, is a maximum sense of punishment to isolate them, to cut off all relationships, to put them in this box, in this cell of complete silence. And so we equate silence and not hearing with our own experience of, oh man, God is silent, so therefore God is angry with me. God is silent, therefore God is not working in my life. God is silent, therefore there's this complete separation where even though I'm going through this storm, God is not moving. And and what I want to challenge us is to flip that entire paradigm upside down because God is so powerful that he even calms the seas and the winds. Uh, That oftentimes the way God works is outside of our own imagination. And don't you understand that the sin of Adam and Eve were, were, were these people that wanted to be like God, wanted to know how God thought, wanted to know how God moved, wanted to know how God, you know, acted in X and Y and Z times. And that was the sin. Instead, what God calls us to do is instead of seeking control and trying to figure out what the next steps are, although be responsible, be strategic, know that God works outside of our own understanding. And in Philippians chapter 3, it says, may the peace of God. So right here uh, in Luke chapter 8, it says there was peace. There was a shalom. And And in Philippians, it says, may the peace that transcends all understanding guard your hearts, minds, and your souls. And so what what the challenge and the encouragement here is, yes, there are times where we're going through seasons of pain, of loss, of chaos. 
And yet, God understands and sees and is moving even in the silence. And, and when Jesus says, where is your faith? Don't you trust me? That is the question we need to ask ourselves. Because what we're saying is that when we trust that God is there in the midst of our raging seas and waters and winds, that God is moving. And there's a sense of uh, where anxiety is just released, where it says, may the peace of God transcend all understanding. So, so what that means is in our minds, we're saying, you know what? I should be worried. I should be afraid. There is no turning back, yet I know God is moving. I don't know how. That's what faith is. Where is your faith? It's this Greek word pistis. It's, it's this, not the fact that you know something is going to happen. It's the fact that you're relying on God to do something, and you, even though you don't know what's going to happen. That in that time of silence and chaos, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your work, in your family, in your children, God is moving. And may that give us peace that transcends all understanding. Because chaos and pain and despair is antithetical to the nature of God and what God wants for us in our lives. When God says, I want you to have life, but not just life, but abundant life, a thriving life. And so when we look at the story of creation, Genesis 1 and 2, the entire story of creation is about God uh, putting form into, out of chaos. Genesis 1, when it was dark and void and, and the world was formless, God took that void and formless universe into steps, into action. There was chaos in that creation narrative. And what God did was bring chaos into order. And so whether you look at Genesis 1, whether you look at Revelation, or anything in between, God wants to bring order to your chaos. God wants to bring healing and calmness and peace even in your storm. And when God is silent, may we trust that God is working behind the scenes in ways that we will never know. And understanding and embracing that brings us peace. So I'm going to invite the uh, worship team up as we respond through worship, through song, through prayer, maybe it's even meditation. Or through the words, through the music, what is that area of chaos in your life? The raging waters. And, and maybe this is a time of even confession. God, A, I brought this upon myself because of the mistakes and the decisions I've made. So God, forgive me. And not just forgive me, but enter into that situation. Intervene and may you bring peace. Oh, or maybe for a lot of us, it's chaos 
uh, in raging waves and waters uh, that we never asked for, that they end up just being the cards that were dealt to us. And even in those circumstances where we feel like we're so powerless, know that there's someone so powerful, even more powerful than the very thing that is trapping your life. Who is this that makes even the wind and the storms calm? That's the power of Jesus. And that same power is available to you, and it's for you right now, right here. And so my prayer every Sunday, not just today, is that each and every one of us, including myself, we would walk into these doors, and we would walk out completely transformed. And my prayer for all of us is that this Sunday, more any Sunday, any day, is not just a normal day where we just check off, all right, went to church. But we truly, truly believe that here this morning that God will meet with you and that God will heal you, that God will actually intervene in the chaos of your life. Will you believe that today without knowing all the details, without knowing how God is going to work, without knowing even the time frame? That's the hardest part. Oftentimes I would say, God, I don't, yeah, it's all in your hands. Do what you got to do. Can you just give me a date? Because that settles my soul. And that's my way of saying, God, I don't trust you. So maybe this morning is all about surrender. Chaos, I surrender it, God. My mistakes, I surrender it, God the fear of losing control in my family and my relationships and my future, I surrender it to you, God. I have faith. Or maybe the prayer is give me faith. Give me faith. God, I want to believe. I have a hard time believing. Help me to believe. Help my unbelief is what one disciple says. Or maybe that's our prayer. But let's spend just a few moments in our time of response entering into that space. God, and let me just pray for us as we get, get into that. God, thank you so much that we can learn from your encounter with your disciples because we too are your disciples. And we too, like your disciples, experience the, the, the pain and the fears and the anxiety that they felt. And so God, many of us, we're going through our own life storm and may we know that in that storm you are with us in our boat that is shaking and rocking and when we feel like our life is in danger physically metaphorically God may we know that you are right next to us and though you may be silent maybe you are at peace yourself may that peace transcend to ourselves as well so I pray for everyone in here that today they will walk out with healing in that we proclaim that in the name of Jesus, that chains are broken. Many of us, we've walked in here with chains. We've been shackled. And this morning, you are here to break those chains so that we can be set free. Set free. That is the truth, and that truth will set us free. So God, may we name that, may we proclaim that, and may we just sit in, in fear and in the midst of our fear, like your disciples, also in amazement.
It says that your disciples were in fear and amazement. May we experience that amazement of your power of, of turning chaos into order like you did from the very beginning of time. May we sing to you. May we, may we pray to you. Thank you. Even in your silence, you're working. And you hear us. In your name we pray. Amen.